Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and band of buggered Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar who figured out smart chicks are hot well before the 10th grade, <laughs> Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about The Gift, the 22nd episode of season five. The Gift aired on May 22nd, 2001 and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. As you know, as we know... Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, and sometimes that matters, and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, it's going to matter because, <laughs> because, because I am not going to leave this podcast where this episode ends because it's just not okay. I just, I can't do it just emotionally. So there will be spoilers. Yeah. Um, if you're not cool with that, you know, catch up on all seven seasons and then come back, meet us here. We're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we'll solve this. We will. Don't have another coma, okay? All right. Let's go on patrol. How'd you do that? It's what I do. But you're, you're just a girl. That's what I keep saying. Why blood? Because it's always got to be blood. Blood is life like brain. So it keeps you going, makes you warm, makes you hard, makes you other than dead. Calls it so blood. The ritual starts, then every living creature in this and every other dimension imaginable will suffer unbearable torment and death, including Dawn. Then the last thing she'll see is me protecting her. Be glory. Glory! 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 Just stop shouting already. I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices. You want to marry me? Can I take that as a maybe? You're my best shot at getting her on the rope, so don't get a jelly belly on me now. Well, I, I do sort of have this one idea. I know you never loved me. I know that I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man, and that's... Remember, the ritual starts. We all die. And I'll kill anyone who comes near Don. Well, not exactly the St. Crispin's Day speech, was it? Very few. 
happy few. We band of buggered. You, what are you doing here? She's with me. Slayer's a robot. Did everybody else know the Slayer was a robot?
All right, everybody, in this episode, due to the nature of this story, we will be discussing suicide a little bit. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. All right, Noelle, so here we are at The Gift, which uh, for a lot of reasons feels like everything that this series has been building up to from the beginning. And there are so many things to talk about. But as always, I just want to start with a general sense of how you felt about this episode. How do you like this episode? Oh, my God. Um, I have a lot of a lot of emotions about yes. this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm actually I think I mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again here. I'm actually kind of nervous to talk about this episode yeah. because there's so much yeah. that happens. Yeah. And there's so much so much of what happens really reverberates throughout the series, both mm-hmm. previously on um, yeah. and, you know, going forward. Like this is a huge, huge series of events um yeah. and and character moments and there's there's a lot there's a lot so i have many feelings yeah um yeah. and i'm very in my feelings about okay. this episode. well let's you know what noelle let's take a moment and let's talk about your feels my feelings because yes. because this is a podcast about me and my feels this you know um, what this is a pod right now in this <laughs> podcast we can take a moment and let it be about you that is quite all right well, so this is an episode that I remembered really well, but what mm-hmm. I did not remember was this opener that we uh-huh. get instead of a previously on, yeah. we get these introductions from season one, including Cordelia and Angel, Yeah, who don't return in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're off in LA doing their thing mm-hmm. on Angel, but it's... It is so interesting and so um, unexpectedly mm-hmm. moving, at least yeah. for me, yeah. to see everybody in Welcome to the Hellmouth. Like we start basically we start with Welcome to the Hellmouth. Yeah. And then we rapid fire montage through everything that has happened up to this point. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like a series finale more it, than a season finale. It is. I would argue that this is a series finale. Um, I would argue that that season five is the end of the first narrative arc of Buffy, a complete narrative arc of Buffy, that this is a culmination of everything that was started in Welcome to Hellmouth. Then we come back for season six and seven, which are sort of, I almost think of them as like coda seasons. You mm-hmm. know, that if we mm-hmm. talk about Buffy as one big story, then we've got seasons one through five as like one and then sort of a hinge right and we go into a slightly different direction um with six and seven both of which are are seasons that i fully appreciate there are people who don't like season six there are people who don't like season seven i am in neither of those camps uh i see problems with particular things in each of those seasons but overall i feel like there is there's more story being told but it's not this story Um, So that's something that we're going to get into. I have a whole big run on that later. But right now, in this moment, Darling Noel, this is about you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It is so not about me, but that's fine. (laughs) I will make it about you. It's my goddamn podcast and I'll do what I want. I'm sorry. It's our podcast. But yes. Um, 
So you have these feels, you're feeling the series finale. I think that that is a complete legitimate feeling because I would definitely qualify this as the first series, you know, that it, that this is an ending point for that particular story. So I think that that's a, a legitimate response. Yeah, I mean, we jump through a lot of big emotional hoops. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. jumping through big emotional hoops all yeah. of season five, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they just keep coming. I mean, as Buffy has you know, remarked upon in the past several episodes that there's just so much going on. Yeah. And it comes down to what what is most interesting to me about about the gift, I think, yes. is that it's about it ends up being about relationships, which mm-hmm. is really where it started, which is part of why I think we start with introductions. Mm-hmm. Because this none of this would have happened if these people hadn't become a unit in the way Mm -hmm. that they are, Um, you know, and of course it's a big, it's a big episode for my favorite relationship of the series. Yes. Tara and Willow. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, do we want to jump right into that? Yeah, Let's go ahead and talk about Tara and Willow. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, like one of the first things, (laughs) one of the first things I think that I love about this is that moment when when Willow confesses to Buffy, I know I shouldn't have been working on this. I know I should have been focusing on on glory. And when Buffy says no, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, Because we are taking this whole story from this very individualistic you know, the individual matters, um, you know, a great deal. Dawn matters so much. We will sacrifice the world for her. And when Willow takes that approach with Tara, Buffy completely understands. And I kind of love that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's especially wonderful. I think that it goes both ways with Willow yeah. and Buffy, mm-hmm. that Willow is the first one you know, Buffy's doing her speech at the beginning about how, you know, I love you all, but I'm mm-hmm. sorry, there's no way yeah. that I'm going to kill Don. Like, there is just no way. And she's mid-speech when Willow mm-hmm. kind of interrupts her, kind of lets her off the hook, essentially. Mm-hmm. And is like, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. we will we will find another way. And I love that they have mm-hmm. that mutual understanding of there is an individual person in my life who yeah. is... Who matters more. Who is so crucial that I am willing to look for, you know, alternative solutions to the problem because I need to save this person. Like there is not an option. Like there is no other option. You can't be asked to make that sacrifice. That is a sacrifice you can't be asked. And in a story that really revolves around feminine sacrifice... Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is a huge part of what the the Slayer line is about, you know. Yeah. Um, I like that we have these women who are refusing to make certain sacrifices. Yeah. Who? Well, who are who are definitely looking for a second opinion at least. Yeah, right. Like they're not going to take. You know, <laughs> they're not going to say. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to say. Well, okay, I guess that's just how it has mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to look for alternatives, and I think that is just. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful. It's so cool. And of course, Willow is in probably the best position to understand both the physical and the metaphysical connection yeah. that Buffy experiences with Dawn. 
Mm-hmm. Um, although I have a question about that. Yes. I have to, I'm going to, I'm going to sidetrack myself for a minute. Okay. Because, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Buffy says, the monks made her out of me, referring to yeah. Dawn. Right. And I'm sitting here like, explain how. <laughs> Where was this revelation last week or the week before, you know, when we had well, all of that like pre-finale uh, yeah. exposition? We had it, I think, in, um, I can't remember specifically which episode it was, but the one where Dawn was at the hospital, like, looking for answers, right? And then Buffy finds her, they have the fight with Glory, Buffy has the shoulder wound, and she says, it's my blood, that's, it's Summer's blood, right? Right. So we do have that connection. Where did the monks, did the monks get pieces of Buffy? Is this a scientific or a magical process? How did they create, did they get some Buffy blood did they build like how did they how is there a physical how is Dawn a physical manifestation of Buffy the physical connection is something that I really would have liked to have had show up in oh I don't know say Buffy's like journey into the desert or something Mm -hmm. like some I needed something more with Mm -hmm. the they are not only are they physically connected because they are genetically question mark Mm -hmm. related but that they're made of the same stuff like i just want a little bit more that felt very out of nowhere but it Mm -hmm. felt very certain to buffy and yeah i I feel like like i missed something i feel like we've made the statement but we haven't given the explanation if that makes sense right i mean because they've made the statement you know we we made a girl a little girl we sent her to you uh and buffy's conviction this is my blood it's summer's blood it's your blood and they do that gross bloody handhold thing right (laughs) Right. um you know uh that that there is something in that that like it's 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 not explained it's just told like we are just told that this is this is what it is just accept it right but there is not a real explanation of that i don't think well we could have seen that we could have foreshadowed that a little bit better i don't know there's lots of things they could have done yes it took Mm -hmm. me out it was there there were a few things in this episode that take me Mm -hmm. out very uh, tiny tiny little things but that i don't know because i think because we're so clear on the physical slash metaphysical connection between Mm -hmm. willow and tara yeah that they just kind of go together I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that with Dawn and Buffy. Right. I mean, we get that, you know, speech from Buffy, right, where she's like, she is me. You know, she is me when I hold her. It's physical. Like, I feel, you know. Um, Yeah. yeah. Great. I'm with you. Like, I believe that that's your experience. But I also feel like it comes a little bit out of left field for me. Yeah, a little bit. No, I definitely understand that. I mean, I think it's one of those things we are just given and told to accept uh, without uh, really a build up (laughs) that kind of that kind of cements that in our concept of Dawn and of, of this key and of this existence. There are a lot of things with Dawn. You know, the idea that the key was put inside a little girl and so then as soon as the blood stops flowing, the key is extinguished and that's it and there's just no more key. Like, does her existence, does her existence as a key continue to go on even after, you know, this is done? I don't, the whole, well, she like, there's a lot 
that. Of it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, she wonders about that. I think it's even in Does the next she episode have a when soul? she's like, is she? Yeah. She's like, do I, you know, if yeah. I like, I don't know, like if I'm still a I key, now? I don't open a lock anymore, I guess. Like, right. it's, it's right. an interesting, it's an yeah. interesting space to be in. But anyway, all of that yeah. to say, I like that Willow gets it with Buffy mm-hmm. and yeah. Buffy gets it with Willow. Yeah. Um, and I I am completely in agreement with you about that moment when Willow confesses to Buffy that she's been yeah. more focused on a cure or something to help Tara mm-hmm. than she is, you know, with the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so... I'm just going to start. I'm going to start just with the go. the beginning of the Willow yeah. Terra stuff mm-hmm. in this episode because it's really, really powerful. Yeah. You know, so they're all Buffy comes in from fighting the vampire in the alley. Um, mm-hmm. and that little standalone vignette that I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh, and, yeah, we will. Um, you know, they're all sitting around having their meeting. She says, go through it again. And Tara has this outburst where she says mm-hmm. she has somewhere. She says, I have places to be. And this is the first time Willow doesn't shush her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, you know, Tara has done her like glorified, seemingly nonsensical, you know, yeah. speechifying in mm-hmm. the past. And Willow has treated it like a child who needs to be quieted or like she tries to comfort her essentially and will like shush her. And this is the first time that doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. which suggests to me a kind of resignation on Willow's part, Mm -hmm. which is really sweet, but also really sad. And there's that note of sadness in her voice when she's Mm -hmm. telling Buffy that she's been working on a cure for Tara. Um, You can kind of hear her, already trying to accept the fact that you know anything she tries to do to help yeah. Tara might not work mm-hmm. and Tara despite being a fraction of the Tara that the Scoobies are used to having around is still a valued member of the core group mm-hmm. you know she's she's kind of off to the side but her new way of existing is just sort of folded in yeah. to this you know pre-apocalypse meeting um <laughs> you know they've already we can we can see the the group already kind of moving out of like a high alert space with mm-hmm. Tara and into a more accepting space where you know she might just stay this way forever she might yeah. see some crazy shit and mm-hmm. we're just going to you know we're going to deal with it because that's Tara now mm-hmm. um so the I find that push pull between like hoping for some way of reversing what Glory mm-hmm. did to Tara and looking for some way to help yeah. while also just kind of sitting with literally where Tara is really, really moving and really, really powerful. Yeah. Um and then in that conversation, I think it's it's either right before or right after Willow confesses what she's been, where her focus has been. She says she's not good under pressure. And that's just a total lack of self-awareness on Willow's yeah. part. Um, yeah. 
Willow was the one who took charge when charge mm-hmm. needed taking, and I will uh, not hear yeah, like last week. Yeah, like, right. I will yeah. not hear. Oh, I'm not good under pressure. I'm sorry. Like yeah. she's, she's excellent under she's pressure. She may be actually better under pressure than she is, you know, in in other circumstances. So, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a it's a it feels like a lack of self knowledge or also like a lack of acknowledgement from the writers of exactly what Willow is. I'm yeah. not sure which this is. You know, yeah, which mm-hmm. which this is. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not clear, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm like mm, no no no, yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course you know then Willow gets this like Buffy sanctioned you know no it's okay like mm-hmm. I completely understand yeah. why your focus has been where it is, and then we get that horrible moment where Tara slaps Willow yeah and I feel the physical shock of that it's mm-hmm. so well done because. Willow has just recommitted to finding some sort of help, magical or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, for Tara. You know, she's basically has Buffy's blessing. Mm-hmm. And she kneels in front of Tara, and it almost feels like a parallel moment to Xander's boneheaded proposal. <laughs> right. Yes. And then this slap comes, and it's shocking. Yeah. For Willow and for the audience. Well, and right. And Xander got slapped, too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a different... When Xander gets slapped, you're like, oh, ha ha, funny. Xander should get slapped. And then... <laughs> oh, my God. With Willow, it's so hard. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. And partly because we are... We, the audience, mm-hmm. are with the Scoobies in this kind of yeah. neither here nor there space with Tara, where she is still Tara, but she's also not Tara. Yeah. And there's this moment, there's this moment right after Tara hits Willow where her face shifts a little and we can yeah. see that Tara is still like in there. Yeah. Um, which That's kind so of, heartbreaking. It, I mean. Well, it's so heartbreaking and it also kind of retcons onto all of the previous mm-hmm. Tara stuff. This like, there's there there's some awareness Right. Mm-hmm. Of her right. surroundings and who is there with her. And it's almost like she can't access it. Like, yeah, like the uh, mm, it's in it's in the performance. It's in the framing. The way it's shot yeah. is really beautiful and really intimate. But you can see that she's she is both. Mm-hmm. Um, but Glory, of course, is so powerful in what she's able to do. Yeah. That Tara has, you know, no access, you know, to herself. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's gut-wrenching. But she's, but she's in there, though. Like, you know that she's in there because there's that moment where she's like, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, so, see yeah. The, you see the the apology and the mm-hmm. tenderness and the to have all of that exist between them going mm-hmm. into this final huge fight right is mm-hmm. so powerful and then it adds to this sense of 
I read it as reluctance on Willow's mm-hmm. part to like use Tara as yeah. a glory seeking missile. Like you can yeah. see, you can see her uh-huh. feeling all of the feelings. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to put my person in harm's way like this. Right. But, but knowing also, that your person is in harm's way no matter what, if you do nothing, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it comes down to that kind of. Like every choice having a consequence and a cost, you know? Yeah. 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 So she says, you know, she's like, is there somewhere you should be? And Tara, you know, is just, you can see the urge to go, you know, she's Mm -hmm. like fighting against this urge to go. And Willow says, nobody's holding you in this sweet, like, Oh, it's so... I know. It's so hard. It's like poetry. It gets me in the feels so hard. You Mm -hmm. can hear the fear. You can hear the, the, you know, the reluctance to go through with this plan, even though it's Mm -hmm. the best plan. Yeah. And then... I love, I love that Willow says she could use some courage and Spike's flask oh, just when appears. Spike offers her the flask. I mean, Spike. Jesus. It just appears in the frame. Ugh. It's so perfect. It's yeah. so cartoony. I love this little moment of levity right but before. But that's such a wonderful, like, this is the thing with Spike, his empathy um is is so it's so interesting like the way his empathy evolves and his caring like his genuine caring for these people like we were talking about in spiral when um when tara opened the window and got the sun on him and he was so kind to her like that he's not and you know we saw in season four that he utilized his empathy to manipulate you know people in the yoko factor where he was using his understanding of how everybody felt in order to manipulate them into fighting with each other and separating like that's the evil use of empathy you know totally of empathy where you understand people feelings but you do not feel them you do not you know but this is not just an understanding where people how people feel but also like understanding what people need and then seeing to that need oh she needs courage here let me hand her my flask and then she's like no the real kind and then there's this moment where she looks at him like she just realized that spike the vampire just offered her something to help her with her problem right yeah she just goes but thanks you know yeah it's so sweet it's so great it's i love so that great. moment yeah and i love that i love it as a little like it's like a little breath before yes. we get what comes next which is just oh, i God. mean yeah. mind-blowing like it's yeah. it's mind-blowing tara arrives at the construction site glory immediately clocks her yeah you know what are you doing here and fucking willow swoops oh, in <laughs> she's with me and then willow reaches into yes. glory's head yes holy shit oh my god yes what how crazy is that right what what yeah i'm i'm sorry that's some next like every that time. is badass <laughs> like, yeah that is fucking badass and i'm just like how what how, mm-hmm. what how what what that's on par mm-hmm. with what glory does to people yeah is willow now doing magic at god, at god level? level yeah um yeah 
you um, know. Yeah. Willow is seriously badass. And there's this moment where Buffy says, you know, you're the strongest one I have, right? That moment where Willow's like, I don't do well under pressure. And Buffy's like, fuck <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Bitch, please. It's not just strongest. It is most powerful. You know, like Willow is clearly the most powerful. And we're going to see that continue through season six and season seven. That realization that with all that power, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, Um, you flay a man is what you do. You flay a man. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that, definitely. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, you almost don't, like, I don't, almost don't. Mm -hmm you know, blame her for developing a God complex about her uh, magic. No. Yeah. When Look you literally, you you like literally yeah. took down a God briefly. Yeah. But yeah. But I mean, but yeah, like took back from a God what a God had taken. What? I mean, I mean granted, glory is a weakened God in the body of a human. I mean, you know, she is in a human experience at this moment, but still, I mean, we've seen what Glory can do. Glory's ridiculously powerful. Mm-hmm. And for Willow to just, I mean, yeah. I love, I also just love that she like swoops in like Batman. Like she's yeah. there, like she's oh. not there. And then she's there. She just like, whoosh. I almost want them and to be like she's a she's with me? Yeah. Hot damn. Like, <laughs> fuck. That's, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. oh boy. And then it works. Yeah. Right? Glory goes yeah, flying. Tara goes flying. Willow goes flying. Mm-hmm. And you know, slow burn. We get so some, good. We get some serious longing eye contact before mm-hmm. it's clear that it's worked. Oh Tara's my god. back. Oh my god. Willow. Oh my god. I got so lost. Oh, oh my god. Shit. That moment kills me every time. I got so lost. I have goosebumps. Oh it's, god. It's so. It's yeah. like, and it's such a relief. It's such a balm to the soul mm-hmm. to have these two <laughs> reunited. Yeah. And then in case, like, in case that wasn't enough, in case mm-hmm. your, like, emotions weren't, you know, dialed to 11 enough. Yeah. yeah. Willow, who has, I, I mean, been inside a god. Hello. Like, that's a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. Also, it's now communicating telepathically with Spike, just like out of the blue. Just like, hey, just Spike. out of and the he's blue. Like, what? Uh, what? God. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. And he's like, okay, okay. And he's just going with it. But then Willow and Tara mm-hmm. holding hands, doing the spell, parting the Red Sea of Minions. Yeah. You know, um, that moment where Tara is, after everything she's been through, still in for the fight. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, and no words pass between them yeah. that we get to hear. Yeah. It's just Willow communicates telepathically with Spike. Mm-hmm. She says, go now. And yeah. he says, okay. <laughs> Which, But it again, still requires Tara's assistance and Tara's yeah. help for her to do that. Like, she I reaches back and it. Tara's hand is already there and they just grasp I hands know. and the crowd shoots into <laughs> and... I lose my mind. It's, I love it. I, it's so I love good. it. I love it's it. So I love good. it so much. I'm so glad they're back. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like I can heave a sigh of relief 
that like these two yeah it's it's wonderful (laughs) you well you know for a little while anyway yeah Um, yeah yeah. (laughs) because because this is a fully spoiled podcast we are going to definitely have some challenges there but but i mean this thing is is that it is willow's power willow's power as a as a narrative arc throughout the run of the series i think is such a fascinating conversation and this is a pivotal turning point for willow's power we are seeing the um the positive exciting yeah girl you know element of that level of power and we're going to see the consequences for that level of power as we move forward yeah but for right now in this moment yeah it's fucking wonderful it's peak like Mm -hmm. this is this is yeah a high point for willow Mm -hmm. um in a really powerful way and then of course because they're reunited as a couple then we get to see them kind of move into the next phase Mm -hmm. of their relationship as season six starts up where they're co-parenting hello like (laughs) Uh yeah a a little bit that's a whole other yeah yeah but you know fully spoiled so fully spoiled baby that's right fully spoiled but who i mean we don't need a girl power moment of the week because it's like all no this entire thing nothing but girl power oh my god (laughs) oh my god i mean pick a girl any girl (laughs) pick a girl any girl you want to talk about dawn i would love to talk about dawn let's talk about dawn oh my goodness i mean strength of character Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of strength of character, so Dawn, of course, is still, still kidnapped, still, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, still in a sense, like damseled, and yet in the moment, she's still so strong. You know, she's like, well, what if I don't like the dress? What if I don't want it? And then when she tells Ben to bugger the fuck off, fuck. oh my God, I <laughs> love that. I, which is, is such a relief. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's fabulous writing. Yeah. Because Ben, Ben brings the clothes to Dawn, you know, and then he's like trying to comfort her. Like, it'll be quick. Yeah. And I love the right. minion just immediately. It's like, well, actually, <laughs> sir, you know, and it's actually a fairly slow yeah. process. And Ben is like, uh-huh. Yeah, shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, And Dawn is done with Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Done. Which I so appreciate. Um. But sticking up for herself, like she's she's fucked at this yeah. point. Like she is mm-hmm. pretty seriously fucked, and she's still gonna talk back to the idea of like changing her clothes, and then effectively summons Glory out of Ben by screaming for her. Yeah, I mean, damn, I like it. And when she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, he's a monster, but at least you're upfront about it. You know, yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I like that. And I like that Dawn sees that and is not, you know, even in this moment where she's terrified and she knows she's about to be, you know, bled out to open up, you know, hell on earth. She is still standing up for herself. She's still, you know, um, exerting whatever power and influence she has. And uh, and I like that. I mean, you know, a lot of people really dislike Dawn. And I think that there's a lot more to like about Dawn than there is to dislike, honestly. I wonder how much the liking and disliking of Dawn has to do with the age of the viewer. 
I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there is some irritating stuff about Dawn. There are some moments where Dawn gets gets irritating. So I understand that. But it feels like we we look at those irritating moments and ascribe that to her. And we ignore like all of her powerful badass moments of which we've we've already seen a bunch of them. When the Queller demon comes in and she fights it off with a goddamn coat rack. Yeah, yep. Dawn. Yeah, yeah, Dawn. I think so. Like Dawn is tough. Dawn is kind of awesome. And here she is in the middle of a full damseline and instead of whimpering in the corner she's saying get out bring glory yeah. back glory 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 right yeah i mean it's badass yeah she mm-hmm. she doesn't want to look at ben or talk mm-hmm. to ben so yeah. she demands that he change it to glory and then she tells glory off by telling her that she can't take buffy i mean yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty magnificent it is um, it's fantastic i love I love that she's she is not going down without a fight, mm-hmm. but she's also pretty cool with losing that fight. Or she's accepted it. You yeah. know, she's like, that's fine, but I'm going to go kicking and screaming and scratching the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. And even I mean, mm-hmm. and even when she's face down because, you know, Glory's mm-hmm. thrown her down. Yeah. She says Buffy like she right. never she never gives up. Mm-hmm. faith in yeah. her sister she never gives up that connection yeah it's you know it's a it's a wonderful narrative about like the power of belief the mm-hmm. power of you know having faith in someone yeah um and you know those like deeply those deeply held connections to another person mm-hmm. um it's it's a lot it's yeah. a lot. There's a yeah. lot going on with Dawn. Um, and for me, it really, it summed up everything I love about Dawn, um, especially in this episode. Mm-hmm. But I think overall is summed up in something she does in this episode, yeah. which is slowly putting her folded clothes on the chair mm-hmm. and then gently setting down her jewelry and a little pile on top of them. And then arranging her shoes and I'm just done. Like she knows she's going to die and Mm -hmm. she's leaving. Like she's cleaning up her campsite before she leaves. Like it's so powerful. Yeah, It is so powerful. The humanity in that, the surrender Mm -hmm. in that, but also like, what does that say about a person who is going, who is, you know, holding out this hope that her mm-hmm. sister will come for her and save her. Right. Mm-hmm. But also pretty sure, I mean, Glory has planted that seed and they're kind mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe teasing us a little bit with the idea that Dawn is going to die because, yeah. you know, when, when Glory says it and Giles says it, <laughs> then you're like, well, then fuck. you're thinking that Dawn is going to die. And, you know, and also like when Buffy comes to her and she's started bleeding and the hole has opened in the universe, Dawn says, I'm going to jump in because until the blood flow stops, right? Dawn, the, the sacrifice that Buffy makes, like the call that Buffy makes at the end of this episode is so huge and such a big moment. And Dawn was ready to do that. You know, she was ready to jump right there at the end. And I think that that says a lot about Dawn, too. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, that's the kind of. That's the kind of willingness to. The 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 willingness to participate in 
the narrative that she has mm-hmm. come to learn about herself, right? That, you know, what yeah. was she created to do? Yeah. Was, you know, be part of this ritual and she can mm-hmm. stop it and save the world. And she's like, she's ready to jump. Like she's going to run into that well, energy field. Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting thing too, because we have Buffy, right? The last thing she's going to see is me protecting her. If any of you goes near her, I will kill you. Right. Yeah. Um, and so in this moment for Buffy to have been so de- like determined to protect Dawn and then Dawn making this decision, had the ending been, you know, Buffy's going to protect Dawn, but can't protect Dawn from the choices that Dawn makes, that Dawn as an actualized human being makes a decision for herself and jumps in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that could have been an ending that also would have been interesting. It would have been a different story from what we told here. And I think giving the final choice to Buffy is essential to this, mm-hmm. you know, to the story that we're telling here. I don't think that that would have been the right choice, but I think that it is an interesting you know, um, an interesting thing to look at is is Dawn's choices and Dawn's autonomy in this situation and her willingness to make the same sacrifice that Buffy makes. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it arguably, arguably, Dawn's willingness to die mm-hmm. enables Buffy's sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, because. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, it's it's that moment of holding Dawn back from Mm -hmm. jumping that makes it click for Buffy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the that's what the editing suggests. It's when Buffy has her hands like she's physically holding Dawn back from, Mm -hmm. you know, taking the the leap off of that plank. I don't whatever the, yeah the <laughs> metaphysical swimming board of something yeah, i don't know so, yeah exactly yeah. whatever it is diving board um, right yeah mm-hmm. it's fine it's mm-hmm. fine yeah. um it's when buffy is holding dawn when she physically has mm-hmm. her hands on dawn she's yeah keeping her you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like if you want to if you want to jump into that energy field you got to go through me you're going to take me with you and yeah. no one is mm-hmm. you know and that would have yeah. been an interesting ending too yeah if they had gone together they gone together yeah, yeah. oh god yeah that would have been devastating too Ooh, that would have um, been hard I mean, yeah, it's all no, hard, the whole though, thing. right? It's the all whole hard. thing is really hard. And the thing that I find interesting about this is that here we are talking about the sacrifice of two young women, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and we open up this episode with the but you're just a girl thing, right? Which is which is a nothing <laughs> moment, right? It's just yeah. Buffy goes out into the um into the alleyway, finds a boy, right? You know, uh being threatened by a by a male vampire, right? So we have we have a man in danger. And I think the only reason it's usually women who are victims, right? We usually have that that it's that it's women who are victims of these male vampires. That's generally how we play this out. But we we have a boy in that um in that situation just so that he after Buffy kills this vampire he can say but you're just a girl yeah right yeah um and I find it I find it so interesting because when when you think about the gift as the end of a complete narrative arc in Buffy you know in which Buffy transitions from child to adult this but you're just a girl thing and her that's what I keep saying is particularly poignant and it also seems like wrong to me <laughs> Um, Buffy was never 
like just a girl. And maybe maybe that's what we're pointing out. It doesn't I'm not sure that's what they're saying. I would like to believe that's what they're saying, but but no young person is like just a anything simply because they were born with female body parts, you know. And let's take a step back and look at the inherent problems with this whole idea of just a girl anyway. I mean, if you believe that Buffy as a television show is not a big feminist manifesto as I firmly do, but rather started out as one man's desire to subvert tropes without really deeply looking into why those tropes exist in the first place, then this moment brings us right back to the same place from where we started. Instead of challenging the inherent incompetence narratives associated with assigned female at birth, we actually use Buffy's exceptionalism to rubber stamp those exact narratives. Buffy is interesting under this premise, not because she's a hero, not because she's about to give her life to save the world, not because she outright refuses to live in a world in which these are the choices, but because she is a girl doing these things. And if this just a girl thing was something that the writers were doing to actively call this out rather than deepening its codifying within our culture, I'd probably feel differently about it. But honestly, it feels like just more codifying to me. And I would love to hear your opinion on that. Okay, so this boy whose point of view we start the episode, like the episode yeah. proper starts with the point of view of this person mm-hmm. in the alleyway who, based on the costume, like the shirt situation is giving mm-hmm. me like little kid. Yeah. Like no, he does. He looks like he's straight out of a comic book, like a Sunday like, afternoon comic strip, not a comic book. You know, he doesn't yeah. look he it, it there's something off about this for yeah. me mm-hmm. he's i'm guessing that he's a rough age peer with mm-hmm. buffy yeah but he's costumed in such a way that he looks like i mean it's like it's like toddler proportions with the clothing right. and then right. and then the actor who plays the vampire is a huge dude one of many mm-hmm. huge dudes that they get to right. play vampires on the show because you know mm-hmm. it's a great that's great acting work if you're a huge dude but right. also you know it does throw into you know like it, you get this great visual Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's visually interesting and exciting, right? When you have yeah. tiny little Buffy and then, you know, six foot a million vampire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just puts it's a magnifying glass on the whole premise that we've been mm-hmm. working on from the beginning. Um, but this this guy, I don't I don't know. I don't know how to read him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to the read the victim, you mean? Sorry? The victim, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what to th- like. I, I don't know how to place him. Like he seems kind of outside. He feels like a high world. school student that Buffy would have defended in the early years of the show. Right. It almost feels like they took him straight from Sunnydale High in 1997 and then supplanted him here. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he says, but you're just a girl, I don't get from that and maybe this is a really generous reading of that line Mm -hmm. um that is a line that on the page could go any number of ways like you can say that Mm -hmm. line in a lot of different ways and he says it in a kind of neutral way Mm -hmm. for me to my Mm -hmm. ear it's kind of neutral it's not it's not mocking it's not overly 
incredulous. Mm-hmm. It, I think what they're trying to do in that moment and what this, this more like neutral read on that mm-hmm. line is trying to convey is you, you're just a girl in the sense of you haven't lived very long. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, it's not a coincidence that that lines up really nicely with like, well, but you're just a girl. What are you doing mm-hmm. out, you know, <laughs> fighting vampires but in an alley just late at night? you're a girl. Like, but the thing is, like, that's the premise of the whole thing is that she's just a girl, you know, and she yeah. goes, that's what I keep saying. But the fact is that she's not just a girl she's never been just a girl you know she's always been something more than that and and there's something in the presumption of just a girl because you wouldn't say but you're just a guy you know I mean like yeah yeah like well and I was thinking about that right because Mm -hmm. I read that line as being much more about an age thing than a woman thing okay but of course if you if if Buffy, if it were Buddy, the vampire mm-hmm. slayer, right. like you wouldn't say, yeah, but you're just a boy. I mean, you yeah. might. Yeah, not for, but, but she's she's in her 20s. I mean, she's a woman, you know, like she's she's a woman. She's a young woman, but she's a woman. Um, so, yeah, I, I, saying that to her when she was 15 or 16, I could I could read you know, a little more generously. But right now, the idea that you're just a girl and she goes, and that's what I keep saying. Yeah. Right? You know, the, because that's what she wants to be, you know, the whole that whole opening vignette is very much out of mm-hmm. Welcome to the Hellmouth. It's yeah. very like it's very season one in mm-hmm. I mean, for like her quipping is yeah. all very like you would never know. You would never mm-hmm. know that we were standing on the edge of an apocalypse. Like right. she's, mm-hmm. it is very business as usual. Buffy, we get. I mean, mm-hmm. even we even get like a three beat with her, mm-hmm. her quipping with this vampire who doesn't recognize her. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says it's been a long time since I met so, one who didn't. Since know I me. met one who didn't know me. Right. She's so so. She's just a girl but she's also been doing this for fucking ever (laughs) like at least that's the yeah that's her experience of it and then i love this yeah when she comes her it is forever yeah it's it is it's forever and when Mm -hmm. she comes back inside i love it It, xander goes trouble out back and she says vampire and he says oh and that's it yeah like that's all we get of Mm -hmm. You know, this encounter, this is so routine. Yeah. At this point, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, season one's big fucking deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And now it's just now it's not even a big deal. Because yeah. everything else is so much bigger than that. You know, um, yeah, the big bad hasn't been a vampire since season two. Right. You know, season three, the mayor, big giant snake, yeah. you know, season four, we've got Adam, the, you know, um, 
to, to, to the, whatever, whatever that was. <laughs> whatever the hell Adam was. Whatever that was. Half that man, was a... half demon, half cyborg. That was you fun. Know, with cop. three halves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, glory the God. So yeah. uh, we, have, we have graduated beyond vampires being a huge threat, um, you know, at this point for the yeah. bulk of the series, which I think is, is really interesting. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I find, and I think it kind of reads into this, you know, this, this no big deal, just another vampire kind of thing is everything that like Buffy has had to sacrifice that, that we tell stories when we have like, you know, women or female coded, you know, people in this story, there is this constant sense of this sacrifice. I mean, we start with the Inca mummy girl, you right. know, who's just looking for what does she want? She just wants to be a normal teenager, you know, yeah, and yeah, she, she literally she was literally sacrificed. Like every slayer is a tale of sacrifice and then murder because of the cruciamentum at 18. Right. You know, so yeah. I mean, let's not forget the dark like watchers. There's nothing but shadow to watchers anyway, but that they murder their slayers at the age of 18, I think is uh, is pretty bad. Um planned and obsolescence then, among slayers yeah, like it's a real yeah. it's, i mean no it's it's fucked it's majorly fucked so it is female sacrifice it's not just sacrifice of her life that could have been something else it's sacrifice of her literal life you know we have kendra right who is sacrificed and also of course yet another character of color who is killed almost immediately uh you know within yep. a couple of episodes um if they last that long which is a big problem again there's a book called joss whedon and race i recommend you uh, take a look at that um then we have buffy's first death right you know so buffy has sacrificed her her life not once but twice now Right. Yeah. Um, to all of this. Um, Amy resisted the female sacrifice in gingerbread um, and paid the price by living as a rat for three years. So there's that, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So Buffy, as the Slayer, sacrifices her physical life, not once but twice, but also sacrifices her childhood, her normal life. You know, Buffy is this story about growing up, but Buffy never gets the chance to grow through the stages, right? She's constantly being forced to give up everything that would have been natural progression through childhood for her. Um, she tries to live a normal life alongside her Slayer life, but the Slayer life always infects the normal life. Cheerleading in which she can't do that. Dating a normal boy. Don't kill a boy on the first date, right? She can't do that. Uh, the dance in Prophecy Girl. She has to die <laughs> yes. first, right? Having <laughs> sex for yep. the first time. She pays the price for that all the way from innocence through to becoming parts one and two, um, resisting the bad boy, right? Season three, starting with Faith, Hope and Trick when she discovers Angel is back all the way through to amends when he's finally accepted as good and whole again. And then she is allowed to have him. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but then we move from amends to graduation where she breaks up with that boyfriend. Right. And then she can't even have a normal graduation. But the mayor turns into a giant snake and eats the principal and all a bunch of the kids die. And Harmony becomes a vampire. Empire, and Larry <laughs> dies, right? Um, and then college, all of season four is all she wants to do is date a quote unquote normal boy. And it ends up being Riley of all people <laughs> who is not even like as far he's you know, he's not normal he's part of the initiative and part of all of this stuff so we do find out that he's somewhat of a super soldier captain america style kind of a little bit um and then gets that taken away and he's a normal guy but he's also like just the worst you know um 
So he is he is like the most normal thing in Buffy's life in that he is just like a, an ordinary like loser boyfriend. Right. You know, which thank God kicked him to the curb. We're going to see him again in season six. That's going to suck. We'll deal with that then. Um, but Buffy's story in these first five seasons is constant daily sacrifice of everything that could have been normal until finally the sacrifice she's asked to make, which is killing Dawn, is just too much. And she chooses to die rather than having to do one more goddamn thing like this rather than having to make that choice she chooses to die um and so you know we see this constant sense of sacrifice being celebrated in women you know um and we've got that in all five seasons of buffy it is constant constant sacrifice for buffy and i mean part of that is storytelling Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it your main character has to suffer. Like, that's the whole point. Storytelling. (laughs) That's what we go to fiction for, that we see people put under fire and they grow. And then that's how it happens. But there is such a repetitive theme of feminine sacrifice in in Buffy that I find it. um, I find it something that's worth talking about, you know. Oh, for sure. And there's a huge difference between sacrifice and having something taken from you Mm -hmm. you know there's not like she buffy goes into slaying knowing that she could die and this is something that she grapples with a lot Mm -hmm. um you know and she levels with giles about on more than one occasion Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i don't want to die yeah and it's like like that's a big I'm 16, Giles. I don't want to die. It's a huge character beat for her. Yeah. Um, You know, and then, of course, that choice is taken away from her because Mm -hmm. the master kills her. Yeah. Um, So she's not she's not an active participant in the giving up of a lot of these like trappings of, you know, what she would believe Mm -hmm is a normal life yes until season five mm-hmm. she's because she drops out of college mm-hmm. to yeah. take care like college is something she wants and she's mm-hmm. like we that's an it's an interesting scene that we didn't really unpack when it happened but when she goes in to talk to her poetry mm-hmm. professor about having mm-hmm. to drop the class she has papers she needs him to sign them she has this moment of you know, I really enjoyed this class and like, I wish I could continue. Like she's Mm -hmm. giving up something. She's choosing to give up something that she really enjoyed and like would like to continue doing out of this sense of responsibility to Dawn. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, a bittersweet sacrifice. Yeah. You know, choosing to put college on the back burner while she deals with both real life stuff and Slayer stuff mm-hmm. simultaneously. Right. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. But then we get to when we get to this final moment of the gift where she realizes what what the spirit guide was all about, what it is that she has to mm-hmm. do. She's almost happy to do it. Yeah. She has. She has gotten to this place where it's not just her duty as the slayer but it's also her desire 
as a person. It's her choice. And that is yeah. some like deep, like psychological, physiological, crunchy yeah. goodness to yeah. launch on. You know, she's that's been the turning point for her is this like, right. I don't want to give these things up, but I have to. To Well, that she's she's ready to give it up because yeah. Noelle. I don't know how to live in this world if yeah. these are the choices. Right? You know? I mean, I mean <laughs> right? I don't know how to live. It's not just I don't want to, right? Because we're all, we all wake up every day with a full cup of I don't want to, right? Yeah. You know, it's I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices, right? It's just too goddamn much. And if we go back to Fool for Love, right, where Spike is like every Slayer has a death wish, Right. Mm -hmm. That that eventually, you know, there's going to be the day that you decide that's it. And then I'm going to have myself a real good day. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, which, of course, and funny enough, when she does die, not a good day for Spike. No, not a good day for Spike at all. Nope. Um, but but I find that interesting because Spike frames this in the sense of a death wish. Right. You know, that it, that it is a an act of of giving up. Right. Rather than an act of love and um, an active choice and deciding that this is how it needs to be, you know, um, which is what we end up with here, that it's it's not a death wish for Buffy. It's a peace wish. Mm -hmm. She just wants to be at peace. She cannot be at peace in a world in which this happens. And she makes this choice. Mm -hmm. And I find that so like interesting and and super crunchy and the context of this five season arc in which Buffy's choices have been always mitigated by being the slayer and it isn't until she is willing to give up being the slayer which of course requires her to give up her life as well mm -hmm. um, that she can finally have that peace that she can finally make the choice and decide how this is going to end for her um, and it's interesting because if we're talking about Buffy as a complete narrative which it truly is I mean we're talking about it kind of in two narrative shifts like I was talking about before we have seasons one through five which are kind of about this transition right from childhood to adulthood and this loss of innocence the acceptance of what it means to be an adult in this world and the choices that adulthood presents you with right um, but the thing that's interesting about that arc is that we start with Buffy not having any choices in that she is made into a slayer she has to fight vampires these are not her choices this is what is put upon her and she doesn't really get a solid choice you know until until the end right you know mm -hmm. and we have that moment in lie to me where she says you have a choice you don't have a good choice but you have a choice you know mm -hmm. choice is so important in fiction in general for all characters because until you have a choice you don't have any power you know um but uh but it's it's so important here for buffy because her because all of her choices have been formed through the lens of things that were never her choice that were never that were imposed upon her and she didn't have any choice in it um so seasons one through five i think follow that story right and end in this moment where buffy makes this choice and then i would say that seasons six and seven are kind of coda seasons individual stories unto themselves which end finally with buffy flouting the rules that she was handed and deciding that shared feminine power is really the way to go and she ends up i don't know how to live in a world if these are the choices she ends up making a choice that changes the world 
So it's mm-hmm. a world that she actually can live in, which I think is really kind of interesting. We'll talk about that, of course, in much, much more detail as yeah. we get to season seven. But season five ends with Buffy's self-sacrifice after the choices were put on her you know, by various men, right? You know, we have the original watchers who started the Slayer line, the current watchers who usurped the Slayer's political power and commanded her to follow their orders and their rules and then murdered her at 18, right? (laughs) Uh, The monks who created another young girl to sacrifice and then attached her to Buffy. You know, I don't want to live in a world in which these are the choices. Buffy's only moral choice here is self-sacrifice because she can't live with any of the other choices that are available to her. Um, And when Giles makes a choice that sacrifices his moral ground um you know buffy makes a choice that actually solidifies her moral moral ground her self-sacrifice as a real option isn't available to anybody else but buffy giles can't fix this problem by sacrificing himself so he has to make the choice to kill ben which is interesting we're gonna talk about that in just a second um but Ben actually does have the option of self-sacrifice. Yes. He could have killed himself. Now, would would it have been like a Hulk thing where Glory would have just shown up at the last minute and he wouldn't have died? Maybe. I mean, maybe he's already tried. Maybe he knows that's not an option, but we haven't textually gotten that. And looking at Ben, I'm thinking probably not. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking I'm thinking probably not. I would um, guess not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that we keep throwing around you know, the word choice and Buffy not having a choice in what happens in her own life. And Mm -hmm. it's only in this final moment where she chooses to sacrifice herself that she's truly Mm -hmm. choosing. I think that is an interesting parallel with her sacrificing Angel to save the world. Yes. It's, I mean, Mm -hmm. even the the energy field kind of looks reminiscent. somewhat similar. Yeah. In that and situ- Angel yeah. was her everything yeah. like at that point, right? You know, Angel, when you kiss me, I want to die. I look at you or I look at the future and all I see is you. Um, she, her whole sense of self was, was uh, so much tied up in Angel that when she killed him, it was like, you know, self-sacrifice. It was huge sacrifice. But what's interesting to me about that is there's really... There's there's not mm-hmm. another choice in that yeah. moment when the portal yeah. is open and Angel is there. Mm-hmm. There's not another choice. Yeah. Um, she couldn't take his place. Yeah. But here she has. I mean, killing Dawn has been an option all mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she says at the beginning of the episode, we're not discussing it. Yeah. And. Oh, boy. I mean, we'll get to Giles in a minute, but like, that's really Mm -hmm. powerful when they when, you know, they fight about this issue of like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what you need to do. And she brings up later on, she brings up Angel and she talks, you know, she's reflecting on, you know, killed him to save the world. Yeah. But in that in that scenario about, though. Like, I mean, you know, Angel, she killed Angel, yes, and she loved Angel, but Angel also, as Angelus, you know, and how separate Angel and Angelus are is always a philosophical argument for the ages, right? Right. But it was it was the choices of Angelus that brought around that apocalypse, right? And so Angel, her killing Angel made logical sense, I think, in that context. Yeah, 
Oh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't saying yeah. it wasn't logical, but also that mm-hmm. there w- there really wasn't another way. Well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like there yeah. wasn't another choice. Like that was the only reasonable choice for her to make. Yeah. So mm-hmm. part of I think part of why the gift hits as hard as it does mm-hmm. is there is another way. Yeah. And she chooses the the self-sacrificial way instead of yeah. the instead of the murder dawn way right um mm-hmm. even though or John... allow dawn to make the sacrifice right right which dawn was ready to do yeah not only not only is she not going to kill dawn mm-hmm. she's going to prevent dawn from making the choice mm-hmm. to sacrifice herself it's really interesting yeah it's really interesting but i i mean just for me as a viewer i find it much more interesting a story of self-sacrifice most interesting when mm-hmm. there are other options. Like you could yeah. have chosen to solve mm-hmm. this problem a different way and you didn't. Right. And that to me is really, really interesting. And I mm-hmm. think ultimately, I mean, in this story, much more meaningful. Yeah. Because it is, it's a much more active choice. Yeah. <laughs> There's, She's she is choosing to she's choosing to die so that the world can continue the world, Mm -hmm. including her sister, who is really her sister, but not her sister, as we continue to point out. And Giles brings up. Yeah, she's not your sister. And then Buffy says she's not. She's more than that. She's me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're doing some like big spiritual stuff here, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love I love that because this is a, you know, it's a, a bit of a gender flipped Christ mm-hmm. story in a lot yeah. of ways. Mm-hmm. When she's reflecting with Giles, you know, she's she's preparing for the fight. She's, you know, beating the crap out of the punching bag in the training room. And mm-hmm. she and Giles have this conversation about, you know, how many apocalypses is this now? You're right. And they're, they're kind of talking shop. But she mm-hmm. has this moment where she says, I just want my mom. Yeah. And yeah, like I think I, I think that's one of one of the most um relatable mm-hmm. moments yeah. in the series like even even if you are a person mm-hmm. with a mom that you don't particularly want mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure you've had the moment of like i want my yeah. mom not my yeah. mom but like you my want mom. a mom you want mom yeah. energy coming in and giving you the support that you need yeah so mm-hmm. of course you know and of course because her her mother mm-hmm. is dead there's this extra layer of yeah kind of a you know an allegory of the soul that like i want to be with my mother yeah yeah it's it's real powerful it is <laughs> it is all of this together with everything that buffy has suffered through and like the idea that she would be like nope done you know, I quit. Yeah. I, I quit. I'm done with this world. I'm done with a world that, where these are the choices. Like you can completely understand that. Um, what's interesting too here philosophically is that we get into this calculation of morality, right? Yes. Um, the, the, 
morals and ethics in this episode are the morals and ethics are kind of like really interesting questions so here we have right you know giles saying if the ritual starts then every living creature in this and every other dimension will suffer unbearable torment and death including dawn right yeah so we have that from giles saying that uh, that dawn will die anyway yeah like dawn is going to die no matter what it's just a matter of how many other people die with her right which is a very pragmatic way of looking at it then we have xander saying well what about ben he can be killed i mean i know he's innocent but you know not like dawn innocent we could kill a regular guy right and everybody gives him that look Right. You know, like that's a calculation that you cannot that you are not allowed to do. Um, And it brings us to this like utilitarian. Now, let me say, as I talk about philosophy, I talk about philosophy because I hang out with people who talk about philosophy and some of it sinks in. And I watch The Good Place like I have no (laughs) I claim no knowledge. I claim no deep reading. I claim no. My daughter does philosophy and I'm very, very interested in it when she talks about it. Um, But I know nothing. So I am pulling this all out of my butt. So if it sounds like that, then that's why. Um, but my understanding of the trolley problem, right, which is this utilitarian ideal that you can calculate the value of human life, right? Um, the trolley problem for those of you who have not watched The Good Place um, <laughs> is that uh, is that you have this trolley. And, you know, you're going down a track and you can't stop it, but it can split off from one track or the other track. And on one track, there are five people who you cannot have no way of notifying so that they get out of the way. And on the other track is one person. The track that you're headed on, if you do nothing, it's going to kill five people. If you do something and you pull the lever and switch the track, then you're going to kill one person. Right. And so that is the choice. That is the philosophical choice that you have to make. Right. Um, And so utilitarian ideal is is that, you know, you do the moral choice is the one that is the most good for the most people, right? So in this Mm -hmm. case, you know, the absolute simple moral choice is that you flip the lever and you kill the one person, right? Thus saving the five, right? Um, And the thing is that it's an ultimately like faulty idea, right? Morally speaking. Um, But But when you're in a situation where you have to make a choice and no matter what choice you make, some people are going to die. Counting numbers seems like something that you, you know, could maybe lean back on as something right in order to like feel like you're making a moral choice. Um, And we actually have this reflected in Faith from season three, where she says, like, anyway, how many people do you think we've saved by now? Thousands in my book that puts you and me firmly in the plus column, right? When she killed uh, Alan, um, the mayor's assistant, uh, the deputy mayor. Um, So this is the kind of argument that does not take a long leap to go to the ends justify the means, right? Like that, that what Whatever we do to achieve certain ends and in utilitarianism, it is like the, the ultimate, the most good for the most people, right? That that is, in essence, a moral choice. Um, so I find it interesting because I think that when it comes down to something like the trolley problem, which is essentially what we're seeing here, right? Let Dawn die throw Dawn if the bleeding starts throw her into the hole and like that'll be it you know and we'll save more people by letting Dawn die or kill Ben yeah. prevent Glory from doing whatever it is that she's doing because she is you know inextricably tied to Ben you kill Ben you kill Glory boom done right um, and that that is the choice that you have and utilitarianism kind of gives you this idea that there is a way to make that choice moral And I don't believe that there is. 
I think that there is no way to make that choice moral. Once you are on this trolley, if you do nothing, <laughs> doing nothing is also a choice. If you do nothing and five people die, it's also a choice. If you do something and one person dies, that's also a choice. None of those choices are moral. There's no way to make that choice moral. Um, so, you know, do, like what what do you choose? How do you decide who dies? How can that choice be put on us as humans to decide who lives and who dies? <laughs> I mean, my God, you know, like morally you're fucked no matter what you do. Well, and then there's this layer mm -hmm. of trying to quantify innocence question mark you know xander's yes. xander's line is fascinating to me mm -hmm. right like we can't we we have decided mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least buffy has decided for us that yes. we're not going to kill dawn like right. that is unacceptable mm -hmm. there is no way that is happening and then xander throws out this suggestion about killing ben mm -hmm. who is not he's innocent but not like dawn innocent right what now? I mean, what's interesting is I agree with him. I'm like, yeah, uh, Ben is kind of a shifty dude. Ben is and... kind of terrible, but Ben is also human. But yeah, if we're arguing that like it's worth, if we're arguing that it is worth saving Dawn, why is it not worth saving Ben? Like it's a weird. It, well, that's why everybody gives them the look, because it essentially creates a hierarchy of human value. And down that road lies badness. Lies. When, when we yeah. decide that we get to decide who lives and who dies. Um, so it is like you give up. You give up a moral. I mean, Buffy decides this all the time, but they're demons and vampires. And because they're demons and vampires, because they're inherently evil, her deciding who lives and who dies is okay because they're not human, right? So yeah. humans have value, demons, vampires, they are inherently evil and they don't, and we kill them. And that is how they work, that we slay them. And we're gonna talk about the semantics of slayer versus killer in just a little bit. Um, but what I find interesting here is that Giles makes a choice, right? Buffy makes a choice and says, you tell Glory, it's over, she goes away, that's it, nothing, I don't wanna ever see you guys ever again. Get out of this town and everything's fine, right? You know, as long as you're yeah. not in my town. <laughs> well, whoever you bother, wherever <laughs> else you go is fine, um, but just not in my town, right? And so she runs off and goes to save Dawn. Then Giles comes in and says, you know, she's not like us. She's a hero, right? Yeah. And then Ben has this moment where he's like us and Giles is just like, Foop, you know? Yeah. And snuffs Ben. Um, yeah. Which is, which is a choice. It is not a moral choice, but it is a choice. And that's a choice that he has to live with. Um, I find that interesting. I love when Tara says to Giles, you're a killer. It's all set down. Yeah. Right? This is yeah. what is going to happen. This is the plan, right? Yeah. Um, she's a hero. She's not like us. So it's heroes who make the choices that are moral, but not necessarily practical, right? And then someone like Giles, who is a killer, who makes the practical choice of snuffing Ben to prevent Glory from ever coming back. It is a fascinating, fascinating moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's wrong about Buffy, though. Yeah. B 
Because just a couple episodes in Spiral, she's killing Knights of Byzantium like nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, they're attacking the Winnebago. Right. But if Glory takes hold of Ben again, I mean, again, like the entire world could be sucked into hell. Right. So I don't <laughs> like, so why is it like... I don't know. I have a problem with the way this is framed as Buffy could never take a human life because because mm-hmm. Buffy wh- has. Yeah. Like what happened? Like, seriously, right. those the knights, as far as we can tell from are what human. we're given in the story, are human. I mean, they're dumb human, but they're human. I mean, they're culty humans. As we but, know. Right. You know? But she's killing now. Now there is the self-defense argument, right? Totally. She, killed, she can kill demons and vampires because they're evil. That's the evil argument, right? That's that loophole. Yeah. There's the self-defense thing. They were coming. They were going to kill her. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill her and they're going to kill Dawn, you know, so she's going to kill them. She also says to all of her friends and most beloveds, right? Get near Dawn. I will kill you. Yeah. Right? And she means it and she will. Yeah. But in this moment with Ben... She's Ben is knocked out. He's bleeding. He's on the floor. He can't move. Right. You know, um, and she says, go with glory. Get out. Don't come near me again. Yeah. And Ben says we won't. Right. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, I mean, this is the thing with Buffy at the moment that somebody no longer presents an active threat spike with a chip, then whatever they've done doesn't matter. We are about prevention, not about justice or vengeance, right? Um, And, but also like Giles in this moment is about prevention, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But yeah, like the idea that she's a hero, she doesn't have to make these choices. She doesn't do this. I mean, she has killed humans. Like we've, we've got it on the books. We know this has happened, you know? It's, it says more about what Giles thinks of Buffy I think than anything else. Yeah. Because I don't think there's anything. Uh, hmm. I was going to say, I don't think there's anything not heroic about what Giles does, but mm-hmm. what Giles does is it's, it's hard to, to think about. He makes a really, really hard choice. And the thing is, is that he makes an immoral choice, but just because it's an immoral choice, is it necessarily the wrong choice? Right? I mean, can you make a choice? Can you make a choice that's immoral, immoral but ethical? <laughs> like, that's an interesting... No, I mean, these like, are really tough questions to answer. And, like, I don't have an answer. I'm just posing no, I don't the either. questions. I'm just, like, everybody out there listening, I'm just posing the questions. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Does, you know, trolley problem. You have a choice. You don't have a good choice, but you have a choice, right? When it comes essentially down to it, all of the season is a very elaborate trolley problem. Right. Yeah, this, this for sure. Are we utilitarian? Is that moral? You know, the ends justify the means, you know, like how far do you have to go to get there? Um, it's and it's really interesting when Giles comes in there and sacrifices. I mean, he is basically saying, I'm no hero. I'm going to do what needs to be done. Um, you know, even though it's dirty, even though it's dark even though it means that I don't get to be a good, you know, quote unquote, good person. I don't get to be a moral person. I don't get to be a hero. Um, it's interesting. Except and that, is he? Except is that killing he heroic? In defense, killing in defense of self and others 
is is something we've established is okay by yeah. Knights of Byzantium, right? Yeah. Um, but at that moment, Ben is defenseless, bleeding, broken, probably dying. Honestly, probably already like, dying. I definitely get the sense from Ben in those last moments. You know when Giles uh, Giles asks him something like yeah. can you move or something like that and he says i need a minute yeah. and he's kind of choking he's doing mm-hmm. this like he's doing yeah. like dude bro till the end right like right mm-hmm. i get the sense from the performance and the way he's framed like the way he's positioned in the frame and and just everything that ben is going to die right and Giles just seals the deal. Like Giles, just, ooh, that was kind Giles, of a horrible turn of phrase. Giles, yeah. you know. Yeah. Giles makes sure. Ensures, yeah, right? That Ben yeah. dies. Um, and of course, Giles has killed someone before. Not on purpose, mm-hmm. but we hear mm-hmm. that, you know, when he was, yeah. you know, during his magical ripper days, like a mm-hmm. member of their group died mm-hmm. because of the magic they were fooling around with. So yeah. killing, like... It's a, it's a, mm. <laughs> it's like a shifty no. moral step, right? It's, From accidentally killing someone to killing someone on purpose. Right. And yeah, and if you're killing someone on purpose who has the potential to, you know, do a lot of damage, like, and not just the potential, like everybody has the potential to do a lot of damage. Like anybody can go out and, you know, do something horrible to a lot of people. Like uh, everybody has that power to make that choice, you know? Um, But the idea that Ben and Ben also, Ben as himself left to his own devices, right? Probably would be like a, you know, like a Parker Abrams type, like we would be a (laughs) douchebag. But not, you know, but like given the fact that Ben is Ben is murdered, not because of inherently who Ben is or what Ben would do, given the choice. Ben is murdered because he is the um, the uh, fragile part of glory, that he is the, the pathway to glory. So Ben is not murdered inherently for being Ben. Ben is murdered for being glory. And there's something there's something different in that, because if if Ben was a knight of Byzantium wielding a sword trying to kill them. All right, fine. Fair enough. But Ben himself is not. Ben himself is kind of a victim. You know, I mean, he's a douchey victim, but he's He's, a victim. Yeah. I mean, he's both. And I've said it before. His story Mm -hmm. is much more complicated than we get into in the series because we just don't care. (laughs) Right. Right. We just don't care. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting, you know, (laughs) like if you wanted to do the number crunching. Right. Because Ben summoned the Queller demon. Yeah. And and in the episode when we talked about it, I was kind of like, well. You know, he's like been putting up with glory for all these years. And you were like, nope, he deliberately killed people. He, he deliberately he killed people. Yes. He got to yes. go. Yes. Like, ben. Ben is not a good dude, but we ben, don't know. But Giles, did we yeah. do we know that Ben? I mean, we as the audience know, but Buffy, Giles, everybody, they don't know that Ben killed all those people. They think Ben's a doctor who saves people. Right. And they have no way of knowing. They have no. And they don't know that Ben turned on Dawn. Yeah, that was that was my next thing. They don't know about the whole. They don't know what Ben has done. We know, so we feel a lot better about Giles killing Ben. But in this Ooh, moment, for Giles, yeah. it's Giles worse for Giles know all than it is for us. It is worse for Giles. That's like an we, angle on it too. we know 
you know, but Giles doesn't know that. So that little, that space of dramatic irony right there, right? In that space, Giles's choice just became way less moral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, is it wrong? Unless it's, it's amoral, I mean, but is it wrong or immoral, but is it wrong? And is it how and how is it complicated if you consider like how much is Ben suffering physically? Because mm-hmm. Buffy goes off on glory with that troll hammer. Like, <laughs> yeah, this isn't a mercy killing. <laughs> this isn't like, this isn't Giles putting Ben out of his misery. No, but um, I, at least not for his injuries. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. There's just there there are mm-hmm. so many there <laughs> I mean, dang, like we've spent all of these seasons like building mm-hmm. up who it is and is not okay to kill and yeah. suddenly, you know, and we're, suddenly we're 100th in this... episode we're gonna celebrate with a moral conundrum it's great it is a huge moral conundrum and i still i'm i still don't know i mean i think that in the end it is the right choice but it is not the moral choice and that the moral choice is not always the right choice and that sometimes you have to live with that right yeah i mean i mean yeah, yeah like that make... and that's what giles is there for so that when the moral choice is made he can clean up after the moral choice that ends up being not the right choice right i I mean he and so like and in essence now we got to ask this question she's not like us she's a hero but you asked it before but isn't giles a hero because he's doing the difficult thing making the difficult choice right well like everyone's kind of a hero in this episode i mean everyone who's who falls under the quote unquote good guy umbrella. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, isn't that at the end of the episode, isn't that kind of the whole point of <laughs> that? They're all like, part of this. We band of buggered, right? Yeah, because all the yeah. heroes are, are the band yeah. of buggered, um, you know, which brings us back to spike oh, because man. you know, you know, I'm not going to go through a whole episode of still pretty and not talk about spike. Right. Well, I mean, speaking of our problematic faves on this <laughs> show, <laughs> Oh, we've been, Spike. We've been around the mulberry bush with Giles, but Spike continues mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. Spike. I, Spike is at his spiky best, I think. Spike in, is is pretty great. Yeah. Um, Spike. Okay. I. I. There's not that much of Spike. We get we band of buggered, which for me, honestly, like is one of my favorite Spike moments ever oh, in God. the run of the series. Just those simple turns of phrases. The gods themselves do tremble. I love when he says that to, oh to Xander. Um. And it's got to be blood. Of course, it's blood. It's always blood. Blood is what makes you warm and hard. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we're doing that because there's only one thing that blood makes hard. Um, I Uh, thought that was interesting. There are several things, but there's one thing that Spike's thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there was one thing that I was thinking of. Hello. But anyway, um, so yeah, like I, you know, I find that so like I love all of these contributions that Spike has. I love when he hands Willow the flask. Like, I love this whole thing. But the big moment here is when he's at Buffy's, right? He can't come in. And he says, you can just hand it to me over the threshold. And she says, come on in, Spike. And then she says, of course, you know, you've got to protect Dawn if I can't. And he says, you know, to my last breath or whatever. Um, And then, of course, there's the moment at the bottom of the stairs, the moment that everybody, like, loves all the Spike babes love. And I am a Spike (laughs) babe. Um, you know, I know I'm a monster, 
but you treat me like a man, you know, and that's, and then he just trails off. Right. Yeah. Um, I love this moment. I absolutely adore it. And I believe that Spike would say it. And I believe that Spike believes it. But does she? Does she? (laughs) Um, She punches him in the face whenever, whenever possible. She beats the shit out of him all the time. She uh, talks to him like he is lesser than her. She treats, well, not lesser than her. She does treat him like an equal. She doesn't baby him. She doesn't protect him. She's not afraid to be herself with him. Um, And part of herself is angry and violent, which by the way, completely fucking justified. And the fact that Buffy isn't more angry and violent, I find to be, you know, a little bit weird. But I like that she gets to express that part of herself with Spike because she doesn't care what he thinks. Um, But she just wouldn't like beat up anybody else like that even willie the snitch you know she doesn't like to punch willie the snitch in the face it's usually whoever she's with who's punching willie the snitch (laughs) in the face because willie the snitch is a man right is a human so this idea i know i'm a monster i know you don't love me but you treat me like a man um i find it so interesting because spike as i mean i think we've like you know definitely covered the the fact that spike is not a reliable narrator that his <laughs> his perspective on events on who he is on the narrativization of his own experience i think is is usually off a little bit uh the way that he chooses to narrativize uh things in his and his own life you know um is is always off by a little bit um but I find this whole thing so interesting that he wants to say this to her before they all die, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's it's very poetic. I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. It is poetry. It is William, right? You yeah, know, from before, from before the bite, from before Drusilla, the pre-Drusilla William, right? Um, it is him accessing that part of himself. But it's not, I don't think, necessarily true. I mean, do you think it's true? Well, she has included him in the group. I mean, there's that moment at the beginning (laughs) that I love so much. It's just Mm -hmm. the the spikiest spike when he says, uh, when you say you love us all (laughs) and Giles and Xander just go, shut up, up. which I love. Mm -hmm. But he's he's part of the group. He's not he's not a. He's he's not a vampire first. He is a he's a guy. But isn't he though? Just, no, isn't he a vampire first? You're the only one who's if, strong enough to protect Dawn. Every time she includes him, it's because he's the only one who is strong enough. Like it is specifically because he's a vampire that he's there. But also if he were quote unquote just a vampire, she would stake him and would have staked him, you know, many a only time. Only because over. he's neutered. Like he is, he is a <laughs> rabid dog that's got a leash on, so he can't hurt her, and he can't hurt humans, and so she will use him, so that he can protect Dawn because he's the only one who's even remotely strong enough to fight, you know, the way that she can. Um, and she said that a number of times, like when she t- talks to Spike, you are the only one who is strong enough to protect them. You are the only one who is strong enough to protect Dawn. She specifically says the only reason why he's even part of the group is because he is a vampire and because he is prevented from hurting humans. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that she treats him like a man. 
she at very least treats him like one of the group, though. I mean, she in does this, bring like, him into the group in this like use of special skills, especially. Yeah. Right. You know, everybody is sort of set up to do the thing that they're really great at doing. Mm-hmm. And he's really great at not giving a fuck and being willing yeah. to, you know, go down swinging. Yeah. And he's, I mean, you know, yeah. and he's loyal as all get out because mm-hmm. his, you know, he like leads with his heart in all things, even when his heart is like scary and violent. <laughs> so yeah. it's a. Yeah. 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 No. I actually find this interesting in the arc for Spike that runs all the way through to season seven. You know, yeah. to, it's it's not about me. I love you because of who you are. I love the way you try. Right. You know, yeah. when we get to that in touched. Right. Um, right now, we've still got Spike narrativizing and, and, and going for love via romance rather than the love story. Like he is looking at Buffy in this very romanticized, very narrativized way. Right. Yeah. So he's creating this kind of narrativization of this experience with Buffy that isn't actually true. And it isn't until he gets his soul and realizes all of the ways in which he was wrong and loves her just because he loves her, you know, as opposed to he's telling this story, you know, like he wants to be the vampire and the vampire slayer, you know? Yeah. Um, So I find all of that really, really interesting. I think this is part of his arc, but part of that is his, his, you know, unreliably narrating this story for himself, what this story is. And he is deciding on this day at this moment that the the meaning in this story is, I know you'll never love me. I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. Yeah. And that she is awakening within him that that dormant humanity, which she's not because he's he's still a vampire. He's still a demon, you know, um, but that that's the story that he's telling himself at this point. Um, I love this moment. I don't mean to ruin it for anybody. Um, you know, part of uh, I have a group of friends who always, you know, go and say Lonnie ruins everything uh, because <laughs> we watch movies together and I tell them how truly, truly terrible uh, Jack Nicholson is. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but anyway, um, I've ruined everything. So like, I don't mean to ruin this moment because I love this moment and I love the way he narrativizes it but it is it's incredibly romantic it's not real it's very romantic (laughs) and in a lot of ways the whole episode is really romantic right like everybody with their like this is my one person and like Mm -hmm. yeah the whole world is going to be sucked into literal hell but yeah, I got my one person. This is my person. Yeah. 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 Speaking of a person who is my person, I think in this <laughs> show is Anya. Can we talk a little bit about how Anya saves the fucking world here? Can we talk about that? Uh, here to help want to live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so good. Remembers the Dagon sphere that everybody else has forgotten. Points out Olaf's hammer. Also really fucking helpful. <laughs> Finds the Buffy bot and figures out how it might help. Now, okay, technically Xander saw the bot and screamed. But even though it's off screen, I bet everything I own plus two guineas that Anya thought it up, that Anya looked at the Buffy bot and thought, hey, right? Wait a second, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so if we could have someone, someone, someone start respecting Anya a little bit, uh, that'd be awesome because she just saved the world. Everything that she brought into this fight is what won, is what got us where we got, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was pretty In- awesome. Like including Xander, the glorified 
bricklayer slash excellent bowler. Like, (laughs) (laughs) he has his own shoes. He has his own shoes. Yeah, she's so she is so in it to win it. It's so great, and I love that when Giles starts to lose. Giles has already lost his shit with Buffy. Yeah, and then Anya is, you know spouting chipperish at him about we gotta think outside the box yes you know Mm -hmm. and giles is like about to just go off on her and she's like daggone sphere daggone sphere yep you know it's kind of amazing and trolls mighty hammer like fight a god with the she was doing it like vanna white so good (laughs) fight a god with the with the weapon of a god there you go like i I mean yeah she was awesome spike's little moment of oh it's too heavy to lift (laughs) buffy picks it up (laughs) (laughs) buffy is worthy yes we've got a we've got a thor's mighty hammer reference in there definitely definitely um so yeah like some fantastic stuff i think in this episode it is uh you know we've been talking for quite some time and could probably talk forever about this episode because it is so incredibly powerful and and good you know um i just really really enjoy this episode and it's so hard and it's such a great it's a great ending of a season it's a great ending of a five season arc um it's it's so interesting and it brings up all these really interesting questions but what i want to know right now noelle and this may be the impossible question of the day is what's your favorite part oh my god right <laughs> in our script in our script we have what's your favorite part and neither of us have written anything it's down because it's like how do you choose you don't I have mean, a good choice but you have a choice what's your choice oh my god well i mean i love i love willow being a badass mm-hmm. but that is also not surprising to me yeah like emotionally it's not emotionally right. surprising it is emotionally delightful mm-hmm. i think with all of the like big feelings of this episode and all of the talk about Dawn and needing to save her at all costs, mm-hmm. I think my favorite part is Dawn cleaning up her campsite before she yeah. departs. I think it's that simply like folding the clothes like literally leaving her human existence behind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but leaving it there's something about leaving it neatly yeah it's it there's there's a reverence and a ceremony to it and she Mm -hmm. you know she is the key in this ritual she's literally the thing that makes the whole thing work Mm -hmm. um but she has her own little ritual moment there her Mm -hmm. own little like quiet holiness as she i'm guessing like prepares herself for the mm-hmm. you know her her death yeah. um her slow painful death of all things yeah it just it it guts me in the best way mm-hmm. um it's a weird favorite part but i think it's my favorite part yeah, no, I mean, it's a really powerful, it's a quiet and powerful moment. And there isn't a lot in the gift that's quiet. Yeah, you know, that's true. Um, I mean, there are there are actually a lot of quiet moments, but there's so much in the gift that those quiet moments do sometimes tend to get kind of lost in that shuffle. Yeah. Um, what about you? What's your favorite part? I, I got so lost. Oh my god! I got so lost. Oh. You found me. And oh I my god! I will always find you. I will always find oh you. My god. Oh my god! No, at that moment, 
I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that I love as much as I, you know, take down Spike's, uh, you know, unreliable narrator bullshit for. But I mean, you know, I know you'll never love me. I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man like that's huge. I love that moment. The moment when Buffy dives into the, you know, into the energy field like that's incredible. Um, You know, there's so much of it. But I think that for me, like the moment that touches me the most that that always like no matter how many times I watch this episode always grabs my beating heart and pulls it from my chest (laughs) is Tara saying I got so lost you know I mean and the I will find you I will always find you um that you know we all get lost right you know there are times in our lives we all get lost and that someone is there who will find you that someone is there who will look for you. Yeah. Um, that that person is um, to me like that's that relationship, you know, um, is so powerful and so beautiful. And I loved seeing that between Willow and Tara. And it just it gets me every single goddamn time. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our September producers. And this week's special message for our power producers: It's always got to be blood. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, read a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or give the lady your regrets. We will be back next time with Bargaining Parts 1 and 2, the first and second episodes of Season 6. Until then, you have to be strong. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Be brave. Live. For me. For me.